Okay, I'm Corey McClaggan. I'm the news editor at the Texas Tribune. And on behalf of the Tribune, I want to welcome you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to gay rights, states' rights. We have a great panel here today. Uh, to my left, we have State Representative Rafael Anchia. He's a Democrat from Dallas. Uh, <laughs> he has some fans. Before, <laughs> before he was elected to the legislature in 2004, he was on the Dallas ISD School Board. Representative Anchia is also a managing partner of Civitas Capital, a private equity firm, and he's of counsel with the Haynes and Boone Law Firm. At the Capitol, he pushed his colleagues for years to allow same-sex partners to be listed on Texas birth certificates as the adopted parents of a child. Um, to his left is Dana DeBouvois. She's been the Travis County clerk since 1987. She has some fans here. Um, she's responsible for issuing marriage licenses and managing court records. In 1993, she instituted the first domestic partnership registry in the state of Texas, and earlier this year, she issued the first marriage license to a same-sex couple in Texas. Next, we have Jonathan Sines. He's a president, the president of Texas Values, which is a nonprofit group dedicated to advancing a culture of family values in Texas. He pushed for the passage of Texas laws to protect religious liberty and Bible curriculum in public schools. Previously, he was director of legislative affairs and a lawyer for the Liberty Institute. And next we have Brantley Starr. He's deputy attorney general for legal counsel in the office of attorney general of Texas. He's been there since January, and he oversees several divisions, including opinions, open records, and public finance. More to the point for this panel, he is attorney general Ken Paxson's point person on gay marriage. Um, Mr. Starr previously served as staff attorney to Texas Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman and practiced commercial and appellate litigation at King and Spalding LLP. And finally, last but not least, we have State Representative Cecil Bell Jr. He's a Republican State Representative for Magnolia. He's been in the legislature since 2013 and he's a former school board president in Magnolia. He's been self-employed since 1983 at a water and wastewater treatment facilities construction company and is the CEO of several other companies. And this summer, he called for the impeachment of the Supreme Court justices who voted to legalize same-sex marriage. So we have a, a very exciting conversation coming up. And uh, uh, basically, um, we want to we get started. This is going to last about an hour. And at the end, we're going to have some time for questions, maybe about 15 20 minutes for, for audience questions at the end, and there are microphones here in the audience. I know this is a bit of a um, lively topic, so we just want to remember to, to keep the, the discussion respectful. So um, let's get started. I want to uh, start with you, Mr. Starr. Um, when the Supreme Court ruled this year on same-sex marriage, legalizing it, your boss, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, um, issued an opinion basically saying that County clerks if, who had religious objections could opt out of issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples, although they might face legal uh, troubles or, or fines, but that they could opt out. Now, a lot of people saw this as evidence that the Attorney General was promoting discrimination. So I wanted to ask you, is the Attorney General, does the Attorney General of the state of Texas hate gay people? <laughs> Well, it seems to be a common question that was asked uh, shortly after we issued the AG opinion. And I would start by saying that if you look at the actual language of the opinion that he issued, 
he wasn't telling clerks that uh, they could opt out, shut down their offices, not, not fulfill the statutory duties under state law. What he was telling them is if a clerk has a religious objection personally, state law currently allows them to delegate those duties to issue marriage licenses to others in their office. Um, so it's simply a function of state law as it exists at the time. When it comes to those other employees in their offices who may now be called to issue the licenses, we shouldn't forget the rights that they currently have under state and federal law. We, we have employment laws that protect someone's religious beliefs in the workplace, and uh, their employer should accommodate those religious beliefs unless it imposes an undue burden on the employer. Um, so to just give an example, I mean, if an office had 40 people in it, and the clerk had a religious objection himself or herself to issuing the licenses, uh, they could delegate to the other 40 people. And if, let's say if three or four of those people had individual religious objections to issuing, they could accommodate that. And then what we could do is balance all of the rights mm -hmm. that are at issue now, because there's a new constitutional right after Obergefell, but we can't, in the rush to recognize that, gloss over the other rights that have always existed under the First Amendment, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Acts on the federal and state level, under employment law on the federal and state level. And so he was simply cautioning people to recognize those longstanding rights of the employees and the clerks themselves, um, and not necessarily telling offices they should shut down and not issue licenses. Mm -hmm. Ms. Stabovai, you are a county clerk. How did you take that opinion? Um, with all due respect, the message to county clerks was very much the, you can use uh, the uh, Ken Paxton's um, order, uh, Ken Paxton's letter, Ken Paxton's excuse to opt out yourself and not follow the law. Many county clerks around the state read his letter to say, oh, I'm, I'm free of this now, I don't have to do this. Now, whether they were right or wrong at the time would be determined later. But at that time, everybody read that as, as saying, oh, the AG says, I'm scot-free with this, I don't have to do it. Uh, I wish they had not done it. There was a lot of conversation that went back and forth warning county clerks not to do this because the uh, attorney general had no way to defend a county clerk should that person decide to follow that path of action. Nevertheless, many county clerks did it, and it took several days to get the correct message out. Um, this translation of, of what the letter was uh, saying several days later to county clerks, and also the truth that the law was, it's your county attorney who's going to be defending you, and the law is very clear that clerks were supposed to be issuing marriage licenses. So with all due respect to the attorney general, he did those county clerks no favor at all. Representative Bell, you released a document uh, this summer. You called it the Pact for Constitutional Restoration of State Sovereignty, basically listing ways that people could defy the Supreme Court order, um, and also calling for the impeachment of some of the justices. Why do you not consider the Supreme Court's decision to be the final word on this? Well, I think it's important to recognize that while the institution that is uh, law defines today a, a Supreme Court opinion as the law of the land. Uh, in fact, our Constitution has in place provisions that say that the court cannot make law. So the, the very laws uh, that you're talking about enforcing don't exist, and the Supreme Court cannot create those laws. Uh, and in order for a clerk in Texas or in any other state to have the legal authority to issue a same-sex marriage license, the, the, uh, the state legislature will have to act and to affirm that legal right. Otherwise, 
we have granted to the federal court system through the Supreme Court or a lower federal court uh, the lawmaking uh, provisions that are specifically withheld from the court. If you listen, uh, the reason for calling for impeachment, if you listen to what Judge Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts says in his dissent, he says that the court uh, acted without law or constitutional authority in issuing the Oberfeld uh, ruling. Uh, this, the uh, standard for impeachment of a Supreme Court justice is bad behavior. I would submit to you that you don't find a higher standard calling for the impeachment uh, of a justice or for the consideration of impeachment uh, than the Chief Justice saying they acted in bad behavior. And so along those same lines, uh, it is reasonable for our Congress, which is the body charged with uh, determining whether to impeach or not to impeach a justice, uh, it is responsible for our Congress to determine if those justices are guilty of bad behavior and in the interim, it is responsible for citizens to expect that the laws that are inherent to the land will be maintained until such time as the legislative process that's designed by our Constitution, put in place by our forefathers, uh, is met and honored. Representative Antio, you're a lawyer. What do you think of what your colleague in the legislature is arguing here? Well, you know, I'm a... I'm a corporate finance lawyer, and if, if, I'm, in, if I'm in court, uh, I'm typically the defendant. So, um, you know, I, I, I was a law professor for a little while, though. And, you know, there's this new case, um, I don't know if any of you have seen it, it's called Marbury versus Madison. Uh, it's uh, kind, of, uh, kind of puts in place the uh, judicial branch's ability to interpret uh, law, the law. Yes. And, uh, and then we do have sort of supre supremacy principles, again, not very well known uh, out there. But, but I, I, I mean, them's the rules, Bubby. And, uh, and, 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 that's, and that's where we sort of end up. Uh, you know, it's interesting when, when my, my esteemed colleague says that there are no laws in place uh, and we should respect, uh, you know, the sort of constitutional principles here. Well, the constitutional principles of the 14th Amendment. And, um, and that's what's being discussed. You know, do people have uh, equal protection under the law? And, and to me, it's kind of straightforward in, in that respect. Again, not a constitutional lawyer, but many of these concepts are tried and true and well-baked. And um, you know, I don't think, I, I, I don't think that, um, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's time to talk more about implementation uh, and because uh, that's the law of the land now. Okay, we'll talk about implementation in a second, but Representative Bell, you want to say something else? I, I, I do. I want to touch on that just a little bit because uh, as my colleague uh, discussed Madison, you know, Madison wrote an essay on the separation of sovereignties that existed within the federal courts and the state courts. And so I would say that that's also one of those little known facts that, and sometimes we take this leap that says we should set aside the Constitution of the United States. Our forefathers wrote this language. They were not attorneys, all of them. There were some attorneys there, and they wrote it in very clear, concise language. And whether we agree with the issue of the day or not, it is there to make certain that the states maintain the, the sovereignty that is intended for states and that the federal government is limited in the ability to, uh, to impose a federal will on the citizens. And uh, it, is, it is not a, uh, and uh, you know, the, the idea that 
that the federal court now has the ability, the Supreme Court has the ability to create law is totally foreign to anything ever written by our founding fathers uh, or interpreted by them while they were alive. And so it is, uh, you know, it may be them's the rules, Bubba, but the truth of the matter is that's not what our forefathers said. That's what this generation says. So what, what, about, what about civil rights, though? Well, I mean, it's decided on similar grounds, right? I mean, uh, so do you, do you think that, uh, that the courts that interpreted uh, um, laws back, statutes back then, and Jim Crow laws, for example, and struck those down, did they not have the ability to do that? Well, let's look at the Was 14th Amendment. Was that decided wrongly? Let's look at the 14th Amendment and determine what it, it actually is dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I'll, I'll use the words of my good friend, uh, Mr. Owens, uh, out of California, who marched in Selma. And his contention is that he did not march uh, or have any conversations with regards to uh, applying the 14th Amendment to same-sex marriage. Uh, it was about civil rights. And the, uh, the ability of the citizens to determine uh, those rights uh, is inherent. And it, whether we like it or not, we break the constitutional intent when we usurp that and we jump to a federal interpretation. Well, and as a lawyer, I, you know, I think it's, um, I find it interesting and convenient, if you will, that you have, you know, uh, th we're having this discussion and folks on this side, if you will, want to talk about the role of the law. They want to talk about what the rules are. Um, and it seems to be because of the Supreme Court ruled that now there's going to be an effort to follow the rules. Let's not forget that the Travis County clerk, when the, the rule clearly across the law of the land in our state was marriage between a man and a woman, that didn't stop the county clerk from going in and uh, telling people she was ready to issue same-sex marriage licenses, really just inviting more discussion and getting people on, you know, on the cusp of doing that. In addition to the fact, though, Ken Paxton's Attorney General opinion was about religious liberty. That is a principle that is in the First Amendment of the Constitution. It doesn't get more basic and more fundamental than that. And there's, and there's no doubt about that. So any of these things that come after, you cannot forget about this fundamental principle. You look at what Paxson said, it was about giving that direction that you'd have a reasonable accommodation. That's nothing new. Mm -mm. That's been a part of our federal law and state law for many years that you don't have the government come in and start just punishing people. They have to make a reasonable effort, no matter what your religious right is and your freedom right is, in addition to the fact that it allowed clerks to delegate that authority to someone else. And so, and look, I understand that maybe Rafael Chia and maybe the Travis County clerk, others, they want to put county clerks in jail for exercising their religious freedom. We were told that's not going to happen. It's already happened. I didn't see anyone trying to throw uh, the Travis County clerk in jail when she violated the law that we have in the state. And so this discussion about religious liberty and really the, where it fits into this, you have the ACLU saying they're no longer gonna, going to follow religious liberty laws at the federal level. Um, the, the First Amendment has not disappeared because the Supreme Court made an updated and a new rule on same-sex marriage, which was different than what they had before. So um, you said, Ms. Debovois, before the Supreme Court ruled that you were hoping for crowds, and you did get crowds. Can you tell us about your experience on that day? I'm certain. Um, but let me first go in and, and let's, let's introduce facts into some of these statements. So, Can you all hear her? Can where's your mic? Oh, it fell. Sorry. Oh. Let's introduce some facts. Um, what, what, like one the, of the that, facts. That Tim Davis was put in jail. That is a fact. 
the trap the county clerk was put in jail. Okay, <laughs> let's talk. It, okay. It's fact. <laughs> it is a fact. The fact that religious liberty violations are up since the Supreme Court ruled on. All right, on let marriage. her answer. Let her answer. The fact <laughs> is that I never did break the law. Um, I'm uh, proud of the fact that for all of the years I have served as county clerk. I never once broke the law for the 29 years that I have currently served as county clerk. I very assiduously followed the law, even though it was against my most deeply held beliefs uh, that I... And I was required to demonstrate against my fellow, to, to discriminate against my fellow brothers and sisters and not issue marriage licenses when it was a matter of civil rights. Now, here's the thing about having the right to speak. Absolutely. The, the, I've seen democracy in a lot of different countries, worked in elections in a lot of different countries. Um, our form of democracy here is about free speech. You get to stand up and make your arguments no matter what, like Kim Davis has done. We get to stand there and listen to this person make the most obnoxious, illogical arguments, and we have to stand there and listen to it and take it and honor her right to speak that. This is not a, a fledgling democracy we have. This is a case of citizenship at its highest and best calling. And that's what American citizenship is about here. So we follow the law no matter what. Kim Davis was not thrown in jail for violating her religious, for, for, for you know, something about her religious obligations. She was thrown in jail for violating the law, for, for taking over her office and using it as a tool to impose her religious beliefs on everybody else in her county. Here, when Mr. Signs is saying that you broke the law, he's referring to a marriage that you that a the first one in February. in February. The first okay. one in February, which was a court order, and the only way to stop that court order was a uh, an intervention by the attorney general's office. That intervention never happened, so the court order was in. Uh, full stand, we were able to proceed 100% correctly in following the first court order. And then once the first court order was done, I issued no other marriage licenses because I was not entitled to by law, even though I was requested. And uh, the only time we ever issued marriage licenses after that was when it became the law of the land because the Supreme Court said we shall no longer discriminate against same-gender couples. Mr. Starr, did she break the law? Well, I want to go back to a statement that okay. she made about um, the attorney general did not intervene. We did. Okay. We only intervened after we saw the media reports. We were entitled under the law to get notice yep. of that type of lawsuit. We never did. And so within about two hours of that happening, we saw the media reports. We saw Twitter accounts. And so we intervened within an hour, took the matter to the Texas Supreme Court, who's currently <sighs> determining if that order was lawful. One of the issues there is it was a temporary restraining order. That is the only action that the court took. You can only use a temporary restraining order to change the law the way it is now. And they used a temporary restraining order, um, sorry, you can only use a temporary restraining order um, to preserve the status quo as it is now. The status quo was marriages between one man and one woman in Texas. They used a temporary restraining order to change the law, 
which you can't do. So the You're Texas Supreme Court. You're still referring to this February correct. marriage. Correct. Okay. Texas Supreme Court currently has a matter pending to determine if it was a lawful order in the first place. But and, we were never and we were never receipt and receipt of notice. So we didn't know to contest it at the time. We contested it as soon as the order happened and we found reports. Did you go it. straight to the Supreme Court? Correct. Okay. Got it. Those are just rules. Right. It's rule of law. And that's that's one thing that we keep talking about is the rules weren't followed in that particular case. Four or five rules were broken, not just the status quo rule that I mentioned. And so th that was what we were bringing to the Supreme Court's attention. Okay. Ms. Well, why do you want to respond to that? Only that um, it isn't true. They tried to intervene and they failed and they missed their deadline. And we'll let the courts rule on that when it comes about. And I'm perfectly comfortable with the actions we've taken. We intervened three hours after the suit was filed, and uh, we're <laughs> actually entitled to a long period of notice before the court can <laughs> act. Mr. Bell? Well, I, I just want to point out that we keep hearing about uh, complying with or following the law. Mm -hmm. There is no law there that authorized the issuance of it, and the court cannot create law. So either we have a conundrum where the Constitution uh, inadvertently establishes these parameters whereby uh, the, the ability to write law is held by the U.S. Constitution and by the Constitutions, or by the U.S. Congress and by the Congresses of the different states, or that's not the way it works, and the courts, in fact, have the ability to waive across the board any state law, any state right, uh, and just make it be what they want it to be. So the very thing that uh, got uh, Miss Davis put in jail was not a violation of Kentucky law because no Kentucky law existed to grant her the uh, authority to issue a same-sex license. No authority in law exists to uh, issue a Texas license uh, in that matter. There is no written law that says that and cannot be until 2017 in Texas or until a, uh, uh, a special session is called by the governor for that purpose. And either we either need to get past the idea that the courts can't write law or we need to embrace the Constitution and understand that that is the reality. And we are, we are usurping the entire intent of the balance of power in the, in the Constitution. And I just want to mention real quick, we're talking about, of course, Kim Davis, the county clerk in Kentucky who spent five nights in jail after refusing to issue same-sex marriage licenses. And, and the contention was that she was in violation of Kentucky law and in contempt of the court. But in Kentucky, and I am no student of Kentucky law or of the process, but I know they won't be in session again uh, naturally until uh, they'll have a 30-day session starting in January 2016. So it is impossible for her to have been in violation of Kentucky law, just like, uh, and so she was only in contempt of court, uh, not in contempt of, of law. Well, we had this okay. issue play out in North Texas. You had a county clerk who looked at, I don't know if she looked at Paxson's opinion, but she certainly uh, acted on her religious freedom rights. She delegated Katie her authority. Lang. Katie Lang. KT Lang. KT Lang. Delegated her authority based on her religious conscience rights. There was somebody else in the office that wanted to, or that was willing to issue those same-sex marriage licenses. But you know what? That wasn't even good enough. There was a lawsuit was brought anyway, and it was very clear that the effort by the folks that were pushing the gay marriage issue was to punish Katie Lang for exercising her religious liberty rights because within days or hours of that, there was a same-sex marriage license issued. There wasn't even an issue about them getting the marriage license. It was then to file a lawsuit then, and there was no ju judicial ruling on the issue. But the county ended up caving on the issue and gave away thousands of dollars 
And that was an effort to punish someone on their religious liberty rights. And that's what we have seen since this Supreme Court ruling on marriage is an uptick and an increase in violations of religious freedom. And simply some people um, acknowledging they're not going to support religious freedom anymore. And that's a very dangerous environment that we're living in. I still well, want to go just, back. Excuse me. It's just silly to say that we're violating people's religious freedoms when that's simply not true. County clerk's offices are ministerial. There's no such thing as a law that says county clerks have any um, discretionary duties that go with the with the with their office. When and you don't want that. You don't want a county clerk making a judgment call about whether a particular deed document or a particular marriage license is one that they feel like issuing or not feel like issuing. You want it's ministerial. It comes in. It meets the rules. You issue it. End of discussion. There is no judgment call about that, and that is the correct way to do it. In other offices, there are uh, judgment calls that you can make. Prosecutors have judgment calls, but not county clerks. You do the job or you get out of the job. Oh, I, and that's, look. And that's the view of a lot of people now, unfortunately, that. <laughs> that if you're going to exercise your religious freedom right, you get out. That means if you have a business that you run, you're gonna get shut down, like, uh, like the uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa cake that's going on, the clients having their business shut down, the florist who had been serving, it's not just about the, the marriage issue, the, the um, marriage license issue, about who has been, uh, this is in Washington, the Baronel Stutzman case, the florist, she's been serving florist, for, uh, serving gays for years on the issue of flowers, but she had someone who wanted to force her to participate in a same-sex marriage. She raised her religious freedom right, and they don't want to acknowledge it. That's what we're seeing of put you out of business, you're not going to be allowed to work. Craig James, who lives here in Texas, was fired from Fox Sports because they found out about his views on marriage between a man and a woman, not because of something he did on the job, but because of something he did when he was running for Senate here in Texas. And that was the law of the land at the point that he, uh, he uh, uh, protected and also supported marriage between a man and a woman. That is the environment and the hostility and, uh, on religious liberty that we're seeing now. It's not even just the marriage license issue, but it's spilling over into everything else. Okay. Can I say a word? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Jim Webb. Can, can I have some equal time? Can I, can I get some equal time? Anyway, so. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I love it when people say, you know, hey, states' rights, you got to respect the states, and then they criticize other states that have non-discrimination statutes like Washington, like New Mexico, like Oregon, all these states in the legislature pass non-discrimination statutes. And that's why you have the issues with the cakes and the florists, because it's illegal in those states to discriminate. And yet you want, you want hey, only states' rights over here, but not when they passed a non-discrimination ordinance. I've heard some crazy stuff today. I've heard that court orders um, don't have the force of law, right? And, and you can ignore them. Um, you know, I've, I've heard that uh, religious liberty uh, absolves you from your oath of office. So does anybody know um, so Wahhabi Muslims? Has anybody heard of them? You know, they don't believe that, that women should drive, right? So let's say the head of the, uh, of the DMV in Texas was a Wahhabi Muslim and said, hey, it is my religion that I'm going to deny uh, driver's licenses to 50% of the Texas population. Would they pre be protected there? No, of course not. They can't do, no, that's just not the case. And uh, so this, this, 
there's, there's a bunch of pretext up here about what religious liberty is. Mm -hmm. Listen, you have an oath of office to follow the laws of the state and the United States. Last I checked, the 14th Amendment is in the US Constitution and is the law of the land, right? And people want to talk about, well, you know, we passed this constitutional amendment here. You know, far more people voted to ratify overwhelmingly in 1870 the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution yes. than ever voted for the marriage discrimination uh, uh, proposition in 2005. So you know, this is well established. This is not about religion, all right? These are about civil rights. I want to talk well, a little bit about <laughs> religious liberties. And I'm... I want to ask. Okay, go ahead. I, I just have a short. Because uh, my, my colleague made the statement that in 1870, the 14th Amendment was uh, passed. And, and my question to you is, in 1870, when the 14th Amendment was passed, was it passed for the establishment of same-sex marriage, or was, it, or was it passed to make certain that a freed slavery population had all the rights of citizenship? Now, I will tell you, before you answer... Okay, because I'm, I'm ready to answer. That the folks, I'm ready. That the folks who... who uh, who benefited from that directly don't hold the opinion that I'm sure you're about to offer because they think that well, they did they're it dead. To, to free. <laughs> but their descendants live today. They are dead. And no, kind of like you're arguing. And, 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 uh, nor, nor, nor did that contemplate Latinos. Last I checked, I'm a Latino, and the 14th, 14th Amendment uh, covers me as an ethnic and racial minority, too. And there are a number of different groups that are covered by the 14th Amendment, despite the fact, despite what gave rise to the ratification in, uh, in 1870. Doesn't matter. I'm glad okay. no, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I want to talk just a little bit about religious liberties and what we might expect to see in the next legislative session. We, we just got the interim charges from... Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick asking the Senate to consider in the interim issues of religious liberty. And we also heard from the Attorney General asking the House and Senate to think about uh, religious liberty issues for next session. I want to hear from, from the representatives what you think we might see from the legislature next year or in 2017. You know, so we, we, um, we passed some legislation. We passed the pastor protection mm -hmm. uh, bill this time around. And and that was really belt and suspenders on, on existing law. I think it made a bunch of people feel good and say they could go home to their district and say we did something about it. I think there's going to be more of the same. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be we members in the legislature file all kinds of stuff that's unconstitutional. I suspect we'll get some more stuff that's filed so people can beat their chests. But in the end, um, I think I, I think the rules have been set and we need to implement the rules so that civil rights are respected. Because this isn't theoretical. I mean, this, is, this impacts people, right? I was supposed to have coffee with a guy uh, right before this event, Jay Stone Hoskins, right? Um, uh, he, he was a police officer, a firefighter, uh, a special investigator, and a medic. Really talented guy, fantastic guy. Um, in fact, I've got a picture of him right here, and I, I figured I'd show you guys, because there are real. These are real people. These aren't sort of, you know, just mechanics. Um, his partner. He was married for, to his partner for ten years. His partner had died and succumbed to an illness uh, some time ago, uh, and he just wanted his uh, the, the death certificate for his partner to evidence the fact that they were married. And honestly, we were supposed to meet at 2 o'clock today. Well, uh, Jay died last week. And so when, you, when we talk about people wanting to delay and demur 
and, um, and, and, you know, and fight against the implementation of civil rights, it has real impacts on real people. And this is one of them. And I want you to see the picture of this uh, police officer, this firefighter today. Because these, these are the real people that um, are discriminated against and adversely <laughs> impacted when people don't act and, to preserve civil rights. So, um, so I think it's important to note that the conversations that, that you bring up are interesting conversations and one that are very important to individuals. But last time I looked, to get to that point, state sovereignty is an issue. Constitutionality is an issue. And we've not got past the point that suggests from your understanding as conveyed here today uh, that the, the interpretation of five justices establishes the law of the land and denies uh, state sovereignty, denies the obligations under Constitution to, uh, under the U.S. Constitution to have the Congress write laws. And, and given that this is clearly not a federal venue, according to the court at least, uh, and it steps down to the states, those states have not acted. You and I have not met in session to have these conversations, and yet we keep hearing up here in this, on this stage that we are dealing with this as a matter of law. There is no law. Tell me what those laws are because so my they do friend, not exist. So let's say we go into session in 2017. It won't pass. And, and nothing's passed. So go on in, in 2019 <laughs> and nothing's passed. It won't pass. What, 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 what do people like him do? They continue do, to live the way they they're have, living. They have no protections? They, they have no civil they, rights? They do have civil rights. They have the right, they have the freedom to speak. They have all of the freedom, the civil rights that exist. What but they're they not, but not you're saying is they're not protected is by the 14th Amendment. They do not Amendment. have a special condition. They are not a, a privileged class, which is the effort here. Even though the Supreme Court says they have civil rights under the 14th Amendment, unless you and I act, it's not, it does not activate their rights, right? So, so here's my question. The Supreme Court, according to the Chief Justice, did not act in law or constitutionality. Is the the strength of the Supreme Court found in the fact that they're appointed, or is it found in the fact that they have duties and authorities that are granted to them under the Constitution? What, so was, the, was the chief to, judge in the majority or in the dissent? He was in the dissent, but oh, his standing okay. as the chief justice gives him the ability to say whether that conduct was good or bad. And it's not uncommon to see scathing dissents uh, when you're talking about the uh, Supreme Court looking at how law is interpreted or the Constitution is interpreted. It is uncommon for them to call into question the integrity of their colleagues, to call into question the conduct of the court. That is a huge, huge distinction between what is normally a scathing dissent sometimes uh, and, uh, and today. Uh, in this dissent written by and his and the was, other was he three joined justices. was he joined in that in that uh, scathing rebuke of the court by by four others was there a majority by, three others. by, by a majority saying that there was unlawful conduct that's where the Congress should interpret that under the Constitution. You would throw out the Constitution and simply apply the will of those five individuals. I kind of like the 14th Amendment. I would not throw that out because it, 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 yeah. it, it, uh, it protects me against bigots. Well, look. <laughs> so, Representative Chi has talked a little bit about treating people unfairly, and I think he wants to throw out the First Amendment of the Constitution. He wants to throw out religious liberty, just like the ACLU. He wants to use these new laws, and speaking of rooted in law and fundamental law and principles of law, 
the issues of gender identity and sexual orientation have not been recognized by the U.S. Supreme Court as protected classifications to be on level with race, ethnicity, and religion. That is a fact. And that is an issue that's now being decided and discussed locally. And so he's talking about these ordinances in Washington and some of these other, with the cake bakers and the floors, that's what they're doing. They're not using those ordinances to stop discrimination against gay people. They're using those ordinances to discriminate against religious people and try to punish them for simply continuing to exercise their business. And I think if we're going to talk about facts, let's also talk about the fact that support for gay marriage is down since the Supreme Court ruled on the issue. And these ordinances that he likes, that he likes to talk about are actually going in the opposite direction. What's your source on that? I've got a source for you right here that 10 cities have voted down these ordinances because they're not objective. They put uh, safety at risk. They violate religious freedom. Um, Glendale, Arizona is one of those cities because he uh, he and other people or people that have been supporting these ordinances try to say, if you don't pass these non-discrimination ordinances, the Super Bowl is not going to come to your town. Well, guess what? Glendale, Arizona failed to pass their so-called gender identity and sexual orientation non-discrimination law, and weeks later, they held the Super Bowl. Okay? So that is a myth that that's a real argument. In Houston, they're voting on an ordinance just like this in a couple of weeks. Early voting starts on Monday. There is no question legal experts agree. These type of non-discrimination ordinances that they're calling them allow men to go into women's bathrooms. There's no question about it. I know, isn't that, isn't that a scary thing to think about that happen? I agree with you. Depends how bad and, you have to go. And a matter of fact. Okay, let me just yeah. Well, you know what? You know what? You, you want to you put a picture up of, of your gentleman? What about the picture and the visual of the women and the children that are in those bathrooms that are concerned? What about the cases? Thank you. Okay, Appreciate it. Let me just stop and so, right there. And so in Houston, no. the NFL owner of the Texans has said no to the ordinance. He does not, he knows the business community better than people that are trying to put out these arguments that are not fail, that are failing on this issue. And so these ordinances are going down. They went down in Arkansas. They went down um, in, in other states. They've been down in 10 cities. That's where the direction that people, when they get a chance to vote, when the mayor who subpoenaed sermons of pastors, if that doesn't scare you, when she doesn't get her way, the people get involved and these ordinances go down because they're not objective, they put safety at risk, and they violate religious freedom. Okay, so the Houston, the Houston ordinance that you're talking about is the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. It is on the ballot November 3rd. It would ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, sex, age, and race. As far as I know, it does not mention bathrooms in it. Mr. Anchia, is this a, is this a bathroom issue? <laughs> I can go so many places with that thing. Um, no, and in fact, uh, you know, I got to chair the, the Charter Review Commission in the city of Dallas, and we, uh, we strengthened our um, uh, identity and orientation uh, language in our, in our city charter, and it passed overwhelmingly um, in Dallas. And, and you know, I'm hopeful that it is going to be preserved in Houston. I, you know, this is about uh, this is about discrimination and individual rights, and it's not about the oh, bathroom. Representative Chi, have you read the ordinance in Houston? I have. Okay, and you know what public accommodation means, right? I do. Yeah, that applies to bathrooms. So legal experts across the board agree with it. So I understand you name have name one legal view. expert. Oh, there there are plenty of them. I'm, you look at the organization of Alliance Defending Freedom. Name one. Eric Stanley, who's litigated religious liberty cases for and who years. Is that? 
He's, a, he's one of the chief counsel lawyers for Alliance Defending Freedom. Kelly Shackelford, who is one of the finest religious liberty lawyers, First Amendment lawyers in the state of Texas. Be Do careful I need to with keep your use on? of the word expert. There. Keep, I, I, should I, I go yeah, on? You asked yeah. me for him, I gave him to you. Right. Kelly Shackelford was, represent, was recognized as one of the top 25 lawyers in the past 25 years. He's won three cases at the Texas Supreme Court on religious liberty. I bet you he knows constitutional law better than you. I, you know, I would, I would stipulate that, but just be careful about who you call an expert. Oh, I feel very comfortable backing up Kelly Shackelford right and the rest of them. So. Okay, I just want to mention one of the recent poll that the UT and the Texas Tribune did because you mentioned uh, polling. So we had a poll this year. It showed Texans pretty evenly split on same-sex marriage. 44% said gays and lesbians should have the right to marry. 41% say they should not, and 14% said they weren't sure. So it has changed a bit since 2005 when the um, amendment was passed. I wanted to ask you, Mr. Starr, you haven't talked in a while. Um, I wanted to- <laughs> Call me Jim Webb too. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you um, a little more about the Attorney General's letter to the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor sort of talking about the religious liberties issues that he's hoping to see for next session. And what is it that, that y'all in your office think still needs to be done on this issue? Happy to. Uh, I want to address one thing just before I get to sure. that. And Representative Anchia earlier um, mentioned very correctly there are people, there are real people here. And I think what we need to keep in mind is there are real people on both sides of this issue. And earlier I heard that it was pretext, that religious liberties are pretext. And I know a number of people on both sides, and I wouldn't call the people that I know who have religious beliefs on the issue as using those as pretext. They're genuine, they're sincere. And so I think we need to keep that in mind because just like we have people on both sides, we have constitutional provisions on both sides. We have the 14th Amendment, we have the First Amendment. We've got to keep those in mind and balance those. As far as the religious liberties letter is concerned, I, I think uh, I've never heard a person complain that the law has too much clarity. All right, no, no one says that. Um, if you're in a criminal defense trial, you actually have an argument to get off that the, uh, the law wasn't clear enough. So clarity is a good thing. The Pastor Protection Act that passed 141 to two in the House, um, all it did was provide clarity. Belt and suspenders, right? It's, it was probably protection that was already in there. We have our Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It didn't do any more than the Religious Freedom Restoration Act the does. The Pastor Protection Act, sorry to interrupt, just what it did is said that if you're a, a pastor, you do not have to perform a marriage, a same-sex marriage, if you don't agree with it, right? You don't have to perform a marriage that violates Any your religious marriage. beliefs. Okay. Right. So, for example, if a pastor believes that he, he shouldn't remarry someone who's been divorced, um, that, that would still apply, right? It's, we're not going to, as a government, compel you to violate the dictates of your conscience in that setting. Mm -hmm. There are probably other settings, too. It's probably not just inside the four walls of each church mm -hmm. that we would, as a government, protect religious liberties. So if the legislature wants to pick different areas where it knows religious liberty should prevail or knows government's interest should prevail, it can specify what those are. For example, murder. I don't think anyone should be able to murder me in the name of religion. And so if the government wants to clarify that religious liberties won't prevail in a murder trial, it's free to do so. And that clarity would be a good thing. People would welcome it because they wouldn't have to go through a two-year trial and figure out, did religious liberties win here or did the government's interest win here? As many areas as the government can specify that clarity, it will save the time and resources of the people who would be in those trials and taking the time of our courtrooms. And clarity is always a good thing when it mm -hmm. comes to legislation. Mr. Start, really quickly, I just want to provide some clarity because I think you mischaracterized what I said. I just want to be very clear that I think bigots have used religion to discriminate against people for a long time. I'm not saying everybody who has an opposite position to mine is doing so pretextually or using it as pretext, but religion has been used as pretext 
to uh, discriminate against African Americans, against women, against gay people for a long, long time. And that's, that's, I want to make that clear. Understood. There are bad apples in every bucket. I have one more question for Ms. DeBevois, but in the meantime, I just want to warn the audience that question time is coming, so you might want to get the questions in your head and... Um, <laughs> sure, go ahead. You can line up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ms. DeBevois, I still want to hear you describe that day when the Supreme Court ruled and what it was like for you in that office and, and what surprised you about that day. Okay. All right. Um, the, we were able to, to turn around very quickly the 9 a.m. announcement of the Supreme Court uh, ruling. Um, uh, by 10, we, were, we had a press conference explaining to everybody how the day was going to go, and by 10.30, we were issuing our first marriage licenses. Um, the office didn't close until about 10 o'clock that night, and we issued about 313 marriage licenses, for the most part, all gay marriage licenses that day. It was a day that was uh, emotional. There were a whole lot of highs and lows all during that day. Um, and the office was full of people, um, not only the ones getting married, all of the couples. But here, here's the one surprise that we had that day. We knew that there were going to be couples coming in, and that's what we were prepared for, and that was what we were expecting. The thing that was so heartwarming and that was so surprising was that the whole day was about families. This whole day was about children. The gay couples, men and women, who came in brought their children. And all day long, we had kids, you know, we had hundreds of people there, and it was lots and lots of kids. I, I would think that the more conservative among us would say, that marriage is a good thing because it teaches us to, that what we want to do is take care of one another. If there was one more sentence that we could have learned from that particular day from those gay couples is that they were doing everything they could to get married in order to have legitimate families, real families, just like the Supreme Court said, so that they could take care of their children. That's what that whole day was about. Thank you. Looks like we have uh, some questions here. Um, go ahead. Hi, my name is, oh. hello. hello, my name is Ian. Uh, so we're talking about the religious exemption uh, for various services, and it's easy to talk about someone refusing a, a cake or flowers because it's inconsequential. But what if a uh, same-sex couple comes to a hospital and they are refused service by a doctor for them or their child uh, based on the fact that they are same-sex? Would that uh, still qualify under religious exemption? or? Since this is actually affecting lives, is that an okay way um, to not have a religious exemption? Who wants to take this one? Well, I'm happy to, Brentley. <laughs> this question came up during the discussion on the Pastor Protection Act, and it's very clear that um, that's not what that was about, nor or people that have brought up examples of that's what they've been engaging in. It's, it's not about them um, denying someone service. Like I mentioned, Baronel Stutzman with the florists, the Kleins, the cake bakers. It's not about denying service. It's about them being forced to actually be involved in a marriage ceremony. 
So you're not going to have that at a hospital if they're performing that type of service. They're not going to be performing a marriage. It's, that has been the concern, is people being forced against their conscience to participate in a same-sex marriage ceremony, not providing any type of life services. And as a matter of fact, they have an oath to do that. And so that's never been on the table or been an issue. But I will tell you that Catholic hospitals and other religious hospitals that are, um, and other religious entities that are involved in adoption agency issues and foster care that do 25% of that work, they do two-thirds of the work for premarital counseling, they provide a lot of faith-based services, and they want to have their values respected when they do that and not have the state force them out of doing this service for the public just because they do it based on marriage between a man and a woman. That is the type of religious freedom that those churches should be able to preserve. Representative so, Bonchia, do you want to weigh in on this hospital issue? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, not really. I was going to say just at partially in retort, but uh, one, this example has already happened. Um, in Michigan, in particular, of a... Okay, I'm sorry, we need to go to the next question. Right. Thanks. Uh, back mic. Is oh, there's a back mic. All right, go ahead. <laughs> this stand's broken, the mic works. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so lots of talk about law, obviously. Um, but elected officials, you work for the people. Um, Non-elected officials, you make money off the people. So in one way or another, you're representative <laughs> of us. Um, like it or not, public sentiment is eventually going to agree with the Supreme Court decision. You can say whatever you want about it. It's just the way it goes. So What's your question? Purely I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, from a purely pragmatic standpoint, as the laws solidify the decision, as the public sentiment continues to solidify the decision, will you change your position, be willing to change your position and serve the people, or will you stick to this principle until it becomes almost pointless and counterproductive? I'd be happy to okay. weigh in on that. First off, the same provisions exist in Constitution of the Texas Constitution today uh, that were the premise uh, of the 2005 law. That's how it's filed, and that, that's still there. This is not about taking away any ability of the citizens of the state of Texas or the legislature to use the, the process. Uh, in fact, it stands on the Constitution and on the process. Uh, I represent a very conservative district. Uh, my district. Uh, I told somebody earlier today, they asked how it looked for me, I said, it looks pretty good, you're not going to run to the right of me and you can't win on the left. So, and that's a true assessment of my district. So therefore, uh, when I look at the numbers that everyone talks about, the polls that are discussed, I see a very different outcome. I see um, all of these uh, trends that uh, we talk about, about the 50 states that now embrace same-sex marriage. Uh, when in fact what we have is we have three states that initially uh, adopted that, eight more by legislative authority, 11, 39 states only because the federal court says so. Uh, and when you look at what's happened in the, the true election cycles, remembering pollsters are paid to, to come to a conclusion that supports whoever is funding them's objective. When you look at the polls across this country, uh, on the U.S. level, we now have 52 uh, Republican senators, the highest majority since 1929. Uh, we continue to push up in the House the numbers that are there. Uh, drop down to Texas, we, we're at 98 uh, members in the House, uh, 20 members uh, in the Senate, and those numbers continue to go up. So while the pollsters would have us to believe that the numbers are skewing, the polls and what we do when we go to the election box are, are not supporting that contention. And I would submit to you that as long as no one takes away the constitutional authority to put in place what the laws of, of the land should be, then, then we preserve for us as a society 
the ability to determine that which the justices in hearing Oberfeld said was the right of societies for millennia. All right, what's the next question from Mike? My name's Alex, I'm a college student. I was raised in the Christian church. I babysat people's kids. I dedicate my life to public service and I wanna know why I have to wait for a group of people that I have never met in my entire life to recognize me, a taxpaying citizen, as a human being that gets the same rights that you guys have all had and never taken for granted. I wanna know why I have to wait for you to tell me I'm allowed to have that. And if I have to wait, when am I gonna get that? If we're talking about the Supreme Court being a legislative body, it's not. They're not saying you have to, you, we're making these laws that say it's between men and women or women and women, men and men. They're just saying you cannot enforce laws that are unjust, which is the ones that are discriminating, discriminating against me and the LGBTQ community. Why do I have to wait? And if I do, when is it gonna happen? Ms. Stabovoy, you've talked about that wait. Do you wanna answer her? Yes, um, you shouldn't have to wait. Um, it, this is long overdue and, and it pulls my heartstrings too because I was one of the ones that participated in the discrimination, uh, unwillingly. Um, what I can say to you is there are plenty of us here who are gonna fight to see that the Supreme Court decision is, is upheld from the minute it was declared from their benches. We will do everything we can to see to it that it is done, uh, it, that the Supreme Court law is upheld in the state of Texas. But Representative Bell has just made it exceedingly clear. They have no intentions of stopping. They are gonna whittle away at every opportunity um, at any of the rest of the laws that need to be corrected in Texas. Just because we have same gender marriage now legal in Texas doesn't mean that any of those other protections aren't gonna be, de aren't gonna be deprived by the laws they're gonna to try to pass this next time. We still have a lot more work to do. So, so I keep hearing this commentary about law, but I don't find the first piece of statutory authority for you issuing the licenses that you've issued. And I don't find any constitutional authority for the Supreme Court to usurp the rest of the Constitution in establishing where lawmaking comes from. I don't have the answer to the question when. When is when you're able to establish uh, the rapport uh, within the community to get that passed. If the numbers truly reflected what you say they are, not you, I'm, I'm not picking on you, but what the polls would suggest, then you, simply what we would have seen in the last legislative session is people carrying bills wanting us to vote for that. There are two states, I think Maine and, and, uh, Maine and Massachusetts, I think, that just recently voted to, uh, to strike down their constitutional amendments that they had had in place previously. That process exists. And, and regardless of where you stand on the issue, on any given issue, it is essential that the, that the Constitution be maintained. It is essential that the sovereignty of the states be maintained because the day will come, if you look at history, when you, when you want to have that process available to you, you don't want to be denied that process because we've, we've usurped it. It is a, the right of an American citizen. It is the right of a Texan to, to anticipate that the Constitution will be applied that it'll, and that it will go through that process. And I would submit to you right now, in the absence of law and the conduct as if there were law is creating a great deal of chaos where we have some clerks electing to issue marriage license, some clerks electing not to issue, uh, and we're not supposed to be in a chaotic state. I think that's the reason that our forefathers put in place uh, the, the uh, 
the structure that we have and why it must be uh, treated with integrity and not with disdain, as is sometimes the case of, of well, of legislators. With respect, sir, the Tenth Amendment um, was Can we go to the next question? I'm sorry, we need to go to the next question. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Shannon. My name is Shannon Carey. Um, I'm a freshman here at UT, but I'd like to briefly speak on the perspective okay, of... Okay, but you're going to ask a question, right? Yes, I'm going to okay. ask a question, sorry. Um, I was from a really small town, and growing up in uh, middle and high school, like, I noticed that y'all always use the rhetoric to protect the children, which, I mean, I'm sure we can all agree that children need to be protected. But, but I felt growing up in a small town that not enough was done for us LGBTQ kids to be protected from bullying. Like, suicide rates are ridiculously high for LGBTQ kids, and I personally felt kind of abandoned by the government. So do you think that um, the government is doing enough to protect kids in school from bullying for being LGBT, or do you think um, there needs more needs to be done, and if so, what? Representative, do you want to take that? I don't, I'm trying to think. Mary, maybe Mary can help me. Um, we did some work, important work, on, on, on bullying recently in recent sessions. Um, you know, the suicide rates are, are terribly high. I don't think that we've included uh, orientation or identity in our bullying legislation statewide. It should happen. Uh, we, when I was on the school board, we did it locally. And, uh, and, and really the challenge there was, uh, we did it in, in, in local um, uh, policy. The challenge there was then um, enforcing it and training everybody to, to identify that type of bullying. But uh, yeah, it's, it was rampant when I was a kid and uh, I'm sure remains a serious issue. I'm hopeful though, the new generation, uh, I mean, I see my daughters uh, and they're, you know, they're very cognizant of bullying and, uh, and, and, and quick to act uh, when, when they see it in any form. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that uh, we're moving in the right direction. I'd love to see the policy reflect that. Thank you for your question. This is, we have time for one last question. It's going to be a good one. All right, it better be. <laughs> uh, my name is Neil Falgu, and my question is for Representative Enchia and for Representative Bell. It's been 13 years since Lawrence v. Texas struck down the uh, homosexual conduct law, but it still remains on the books to this day. Uh, do you see a future soon when that law can be taken off the books? And Representative Bell, because it's still on the books, do you think it should be enforced? Okay. We'll go to you real quickly, but you have like a minute. Yeah, to, to, just so everybody knows, uh, you know, Lawrence v. Texas struck down the sodomy law. Just so everybody's on the same page. I've been a co-author of, of bills to get it off the books. So it's offensive. It's, it's uh, not enforceable. Uh, it's been struck down. The, the legislature, there's no political will in the legislature to do it, and it's sad. Representative Bell. Well, uh, first off, you know, we, we have some, some real challenges uh, in our local communities with regards to uh, conduct. Uh, I believe strongly that no one should be in your house. I think that was the intent of that, that legislation, uh, or that not that legislation, but that, that court ruling. Um, I don't, um, what was the second part of your question? You had a second part of your question. If, if the law which has been ruled unconstitutional, it remains on the books. If it's not repealed by the legislature, and you seem to be a big proponent of mm -hmm. what is statutorily in the books, do you think it can still be enforced by the police? But I, I think that, uh, that, that your protection really wasn't against the act. It was against the violation of privacy. So I think from that side, you still have that right. Now, if you're in a public park, uh, I don't have any use for heterosexual sex uh, in the bathroom in a public park. I don't have any use for 
uh, homosexual sex, and it should not be there in either case. So, and on that note, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Uh, we have a quick, a quick programming note. Um,